0: Hello, how are you guys today? This is episode two of the Perfected Health podcast. I'm here with Simlan today and very excited to talk about fasting and autophagy and how you can implement it into your daily life to perfect your health. Simlan, how are you today? What's up? Uh, Thanks for having me and uh, I'm doing really good. Okay, so a lot of you may be familiar with intermittent fasting and fasting in general with the popularity of the keto, ketogenic diet, especially the carnivore diet. And I mean, we know that vegans can't really fast because they need to get their blood sugar up and down every five seconds. But uh, do you mind explaining just kind of what autophagy is and what the benefits that people are looking to achieve?
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, autophagy itself uh, literally translates into like self-eating or eating of self. And uh, it's this process where your healthy cells, they begin to hunt down and break down these old and worn out components of the cell, like the worn out mitochondria, some other cancerous cells, other pathogens, and these things that cause like excessive oxidative stress. So the benefits of autophagy are really multifaceted and uh, it helps to lower inflammation, fights these different diseases. And at the same time, it has like many longevity and anti-aging benefits as well. And in fact, like the the longevity benefits you see from uh, caloric restriction actually are all tied to the activation of autophagy. So in certain studies where either like brewer's yeast or uh, mice they're mute, mutated but in a way that their autophagy pathways are blocked, then they won't live longer even when they are fed like very few calories. So uh, those autophagy genes, they play a huge role in actually keeping the mitochondria healthy as you get older and as well as preventing this sort of uh, accumulation of these all worn out uh, like toxins and other dysfunctional components in the cell that are simply like dragging you down. So yeah, I would say that autophagy is one of the most uh, undervalued and one of the most important parts of uh, longevity you see, uh, in any kind of diet you would, you would want to have, but yeah, unfortunately some diets simply interfere with it too much and kind of block it out. So that's a kind of a shame. One interesting thing, and at least a
0: theory that I think is the only point in your life where inflammation is not present is when you're not eating. Literally, regardless of how good a food is for you, when you put something in your body, it's always a net negative in regards to inflammation. You know, barring you don't have any nutrient deficiencies, you know, the stress on your digestive system, the stress on your system overall. And I mean, for the most part, I I think just about everyone agrees that eating less is better for you. So fasting being literally the baseline for minimal inflammation. And even when people go on these juice fasts, these... Uh, vegan fruit cleanses, it, it's almost a form of fasting in a way where, you know, their body is almost breaking down uh,
1: themselves.
0: Yeah, yeah. But, one thing I want yeah. one, to
1: one, one add is that, yeah, like even breathing, just, just the mere fact of being alive, uh, causes oxidative stress on the mitochondria to a certain extent. So that's the idea of living itself. It's like a constant process of entropy that you're dying and uh, breaking down. And one of the reasons you die in, uh, in the end is that your mitochondria eventually simply like stop working. And with, with autophagy, you kind of postpone it more and you keep your mitochondria functioning more optimally for longer. So yeah, like you definitely want to have like this sort of a diet that minimizes oxidative stress and it doesn't cause like uh, unnecessary inflammation in your specifically like gut and other you know, vital organs. Is it safe to say
0: that the average person, especially in America, is living in this hyper inflammatory state where literally every two to three hours of every single
1: day they're eating something that's causing massive amounts of oxidative stress yeah well that's for sure yeah like i believe like one of the uh, one of the leading researchers in intermittent fasting uh, sachin panda has also done some studies where they sh- where they look at how often do people eat and they find that kind of eating window when they break their fast starts you know in the morning after waking up by you know adding even just a bit of like milk to their coffee or something like that and they end their eating window in the evening where having like a few snacks before going to bed so they literally are spending like up to 12 to 14 hours in a fat in a fit state and that's like significantly preventing them from ever going into autophagy and uh, they also eat this sort of a diet that uh, interferes with the autophagy process and uh, yeah like it's very high in carbs uh, very high in processed foods and yeah it's it's like a bath of inflammation so yeah i would say the kind of the worst diet that we all know is you know the standard western western diet and it's something that you know is definitely anti-autophagy all the time
0: how insane it is how insane is it that literally all just about every single person on this planet never gives themselves a break from this super inflammatory state it it's, it's, it's yeah it's
1: it's unbelievable it's, it's like yeah you 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 would you would say that Fasting is insane in in the con- or from the perspective of modern life. That why would you want to starve yourself? or Why would you want to skip out some meals? Because that's what been literally been told for decades upon end that you need to you know spark up your metabolism and uh, keep yourself fed, have small snacks all the time, so your body wouldn't go into the starvation mode. But you know the truth is that. A little bit of starvation is actually good for you and that's one of the things that will, will help you to lose more fat and will also help you to uh live longer at the, at the process so uh you know that's this kind of, it kind of contradicts a lot of the you know myths and dogmas that the mainstream nutrition advice has been following for like years
0: yeah to me it's absolutely absurd when i think of like my mother or my sister or my father and they literally have never gone you know three to four hours without eating something in their entire lives so, you know, to reduce oxidative stress without fasting is incredibly, incredibly difficult, if not impossible. So when we look at modern things like keto, carnivore, uh, nutrient density in the diet, obviously, you know, fasting is a component that in, in itself can be just as effective, if not more effective than any of these things. Of course, you know, the goal of perfecting your health is to implement all of these things. So, and, you know, I, I mean, I personally fast myself. Uh, you know, I, I just finished a seven day water fast the other day, the other day. Uh, mm. h- how do you personally incorporate fasting into your lifestyle? Uh, and, and what benefits are you trying to achieve?
1: Uh, well me personally, uh, I do have like longer fasts, you know three to five days and uh, the longest i've been has been a week but that was like last year or something and uh, usually on a habitual basis i aim for three 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 day fasts at minimum and up to five days so to say and i have them maybe Uh, generally maybe uh, once a quarter or once every other month or something. And maybe I have like a 48-hour fast once a month as well. But on a daily basis, I'm already eating like once a day already. So I don't need to fast that long, that often, so to say, because I'm already getting a significant amount of, you know, the benefits of fasting on on a regular basis. So um, that's the way I do it because, you know, I'm not really that hungry during the day and I also like to reap a lot of the benefits of the fastest state like heightened mental clarity and uh, general like more fat oxidation so on a, on like a keto carnivore type of diet you don't really you know experience these dips in uh, blood sugar and you are kind of more energized throughout the entire day so it's something that you don't really even need to do and uh, in min- at minimum i think you know two meals a day would be the kind of um, or the, That would be the maximum everyone should aim for to have like at least like two meals a day and not anymore because there's not going to be like any physiological reason to be eating any more often. And you would actually benefit like a lot more by, you know, skipping, sp- skipping those meals and, you know, optimally aiming for even like a one meal a day. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, yeah, I, you know, there's a period of time, you know, for most of my carnivore dieting over the past few years when I've literally not eaten for a quarter of my life essentially. So one quarter of the time I I was fasting. So whether that's one week out of the month or two weeks out of two months or maybe two days out of the week, I literally decided not to eat for a quarter of the time. But what becomes questionable and where I think a line needs to be drawn is one meal a day, the OMAD type of stuff and the actual, you know, water fasting past 48 hours, you know, I'm assuming the autophagy benefits are greatly, greatly exceeded once you enter these several day fasts, as opposed to, you know, what we're, what I'm basically saying is the benefits that people achieve related to intermittent fasting one meal a day are completely Mm. different than the benefits that you will achieve by water fasting for a prolonged period of time.
1: Yeah, it, it is in a sense that uh, if you fast for longer and you fast longer than 24 hours, then you will activate autophagy much more. And it is like, you know, somewhat arguable, arguable that are you even getting the autophagy benefits on like a one-day fast or let's say like the 24-hour fast or something like that. And uh, it kind of poses the question, do you need to do the OMAD diet if you plan to have, like if you're not even getting the aut- aut- autophagy benefits? So, um, you know, the truth is that Autophagy is happening almost all the time uh, in some levels. And it happens in different tissues and in different degrees. So uh, the kind of determining factor of like what or how much autophagy you have is going to be depending on like the nutrient status of your entire body and the nutrient balance between these different fuel sensors. So um, generally, whenever you are depleted from certain uh, nutrients like uh, glucose, amino acids, and uh, if your insulin is low and if your this mTOR signaling is also low then that's a sign that your body will be able to go into the autophagy uh you know zone much more quicker so in general if you are if you're already you know depleted from those nutrients for instance a low carb diet then uh, you will experience the autophagy benefits faster because you don't have like a bunch of like glycogen, you you have to burn through, and you will enter the autophagy zone faster because of that as well. And there are other things that will also promote the process, like exercise, uh, cold heat exposure, and uh, certain uh, certain compounds and certain nutrients will also stimulate the process. So if you kind of add it up, then you will definitely see some benefits of autophagy on, uh, like a one-day fast, even and uh, like a one OMAD diet. But yeah, for sure, like if you want to get like some significant benefits of autophagy, then you would be. Uh, want, want to be fasting for like over 24 hours and usually like two to three days at most. Yeah, there's a couple interesting things that,
0: you know, you mentioned that needs to be brought up. First of all, food in your digestive system. If you ate this huge, gigantic four or 5,000 calorie meal before you fasted, I mean, that versus someone who didn't do that, that might be the difference yeah. between getting into autophagy within two to three days versus taking maybe even four or five days who knows Uh, and then the other thing you mentioned was nutrients and one thing I've always said in my fasting videos is you should not be fasting if you don't have established nutrient density in your diet if your body doesn't have the vitamins and minerals that needs to perform basic metabolic functions there's essentially no I mean of course there's benefits to fasting you know, in the context of a standard American diet, and it's probably better if those people did fast than not fasting. But Mm -hmm. just increasing the nutrient density in their diet and having these vitamins and minerals is going to reap far more benefits than fasting on a nutrient deficient diet. So what would you think about, you know, someone consuming, you know, a very high calorie nutrient dense diet before fasting? Doesn't that make quite a bit of sense in regards to having a large volume of highly nutritious food in your bowels for
1: a period of several days? Uh, Well, depends on, uh, you know, depends on how long you're going to fast and depends on how many colors you eat. Because, yeah, like you mentioned, if you eat a bunch of food before the fast, then it's going to take your body a much more longer time to digest it. And that's going to postpone at least some some of the aspects of how fast you're going to go into the autophagy, so to say. So if you were to eat like maybe like 1000 calories of very low nutrient dense foods and which specifically like low in uh, carbs and low in protein, then you would go into autophagy faster than you, than you were to eat like. 4000 calories of steak if that makes like a good yeah. comparison so to say that you know it is a good idea to have like all of your nutrients on a regular basis in your diet and get like the quality nutrients from animal foods uh, but at the same time it's also that you don't necessarily need to have like a bunch of those nutrients before you start to fast because it's it will uh, kind of it, it will maybe like postpone some of the benefits that you get experience from the fast because one of the parts of or one of the components of autophagy that act that you know promotes autophagy is that you become depleted from those nutrients, and uh, you know the less the less your body has access to them, then the easier it will go into the uh, autophagy zone. And you know it, it's it's a matter of it's a matter of how you know how how often do you fast and how how nutrient dense your diet is on a regular basis, so to say. That you know yeah, it's true that nutrient density is very important, but short term deprivation of those nutrients is still a good idea and it's it's actually beneficial Mm -hmm. because the body also becomes somewhat more sensitive to them so you absorb them better after you break the fast.
0: Yeah, I think humans are definitely meant to go for periods of months because if you look at the pattern of some indigenous people, they would have plenty of calories and nutrition during, you know, the summer, the fall, depending on where they were located. And then the winter might have been a hard time in some places and the summer might have been a hard time in other places. But this ties greatly into the importance of being in a ketogenic metabolism and, and using that to start fasting. So can you yeah, kind of like, go over like how people can really start fasting? It's, is it
1: necessary to get a ketogenic metabolism? Why those things are important? Yeah, for, for like one of the biggest fears that people have about fasting is that they're gonna lose muscle and they're gonna basically crumble up and die. But uh, the truth is that when you are in you know the fa- fastest state of ketosis, then uh, you ha- experience higher levels of growth hormone, and the ketone bodies themselves are also anti-catabolic. So uh, in general, you won't experience nearly as much muscle loss that you think, or like uh, that's at least that's what that's what the mainstream fitness industry has told you, so to say. And, um, you know, there is still the potential that it may happen if you fast when you're not in ketosis and you fast without the protection of keto bodies. So uh, that's, all, that's why I always think that the safest and most effective way to start a long fast is to become keto adapted first and to go into ketosis first, because you're going to have much more easier time, uh, both in terms of like the satiety and hunger, but also because of the reduced muscle catabolism. So. And, uh, you know, you mentioned these juice cleanses earlier. Those things are actually one of the worst things for maintaining muscle mass during a fast because you're going to kick yourself out of ketosis and you, you will essentially drive gluconeogenesis because your body still needs to get some energy. And because it doesn't produce ketones, it's not in ketosis, then it's going to simply convert its own muscle tissue and uh, lean organs and other, other components into glucose to satisfy that need. So yeah, fasting in ketosis is always better and it's more, always more effective. And it's I would say it's also like uh, even needed. So you, you would maybe like before you start the long fast, you would want to yeah eat a low-carb keto diet or like a carnivore diet before the fast to essentially make yourself more keto-adapted before.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's so important, in, especially in regards to hunger, because whenever you go on these fasting websites or fasting forums – it's really people dreaming about food and, and they're just all they're doing is thinking about, Oh my God, I need to eat. I need to eat. Right. But when I did my seven day water fast, I wasn't hungry. I wasn't thinking about food at any point in time whatsoever. I never actually got physically hungry. Uh, I, yeah. I think this ties greatly into, you know, as you said, getting into that ketogenic metabolism, that fat burning state. And this also might be attributed to, uh, the nutrient density of the diet. I wonder if people would, you know, just consume highly satiating foods like small amounts of liver or salmon eggs or very fatty fish and if that would be you know an effective alternative to jumping directly into a fast i mean that seems like a great way to get into ketosis as well as established base nutrient density in the diet so
1: we it can will, say it, it will be like uh a- something to you know get used to or something to promote the aspect of keto ad- adaptation before you actually start a long fast so uh like in your when you're eating let's say a low-carb keto diet or these uh, nutrient-dense animal foods and you're in ketosis then caloric caloric restriction itself isn't that damaging to your metabolism either because you're still producing ketones and you're able to utilize them and like any deficit any caloric deficit you experience in a keto-adaptive state is essentially going to be compensated for by your own body fat so you don't become catabolic because you will take the energy you need from your own body fat so yeah you can definitely create a huge caloric deficit especially during dieting uh with you know eating fewer calories but still maintaining ketosis so yeah it's it's Hmm. it's always like somewhat better to even when you're trying to lose weight i would say it's still always better to kind of do it in ketosis
0: yeah, there's definitely something to be said about the importance of all of these elements. You know, when pe- people try to look at things as solutions and they look at fasting as a solution, but then they realize, okay, well, to start fasting, I need to get into ketosis and improve my diet overall. But then to get into ketosis overall, I might have to start exercising uh, to get my energy levels up. And then, oh, wait, maybe I have a vitamin D3 deficiency. So all of these elements of health really tie in and. I mean, the main goal, of course, being, you know, reduction of oxidative stress and inflammation in the body. And, and then this could be even as, I mean, you know, the, like the Eskimos, the Inuit, the First Nation Alaskans used to smoke and they never ended up getting lung cancer. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely some interesting anecdotes here and there. Now, what about these things that people do that are almost like fasting conventional wisdom, like MCT
1: oil, electrolytes? Do you have any thoughts on these things? uh well i think that uh they they can be somewhat useful in uh getting through the fast if you're having trouble with it or if you're you know i would say that uh if you add maybe like a bit of mct oil into your drink or something and it helps you to fast longer you're not gonna break the fast you know uh, prematurely then i would say it's worth it but you simply have to be mindful of yeah or are you, do you actually need it, and uh, what are the reasons you're th- doing it? There is definitely not like in any inherent reason or inherent benefit that you should do it. Uh, like speaking of MCT oil and such, uh, but you know because regular fasting would be always much more effective and mo- much more powerful. But you know at the same time, if a person you know finds it more useful for them subjectively, then I should I should say it's going to be worth it. And uh, there is some uh, pos- possibility that. Uh, the mct oil or for instance like you know butter or something like that in the form of like bulletproof coffee or something and that it helps to support the autophagy process that's also a possibility because there is like different types of autophagy like one of them being chaperone mediated autophagy which essentially is able to be stimulated by ketone bodies as well and if you for instance take like mct oil then you boost you see like a small increase in ketone body production and that can help to uh, promote the autophagy process a little bit but you know there's also like a fine line that too much is definitely going to be not good and uh you know you, you don't necessarily need it so it's, it's a matter of yeah like if it if it fits you or if it fits your kind of routine and if it helps you to fast longer then you should maybe like consider it but i, I don't like i don't make it like a mandatory thing for other people
0: yeah, looking at coffee specifically in the context of fasting, to me, just seems like a really bad idea. You know, coffee can be incredibly inflammatory to the digestive system, and especially something like butter or cream or dairy-based fat. Uh, to to me, if it's like okay, you're literally not eating anything for seven weeks or seven days or a week or whatever it is, but you need to have a coffee. It's kind of like you're potentially ruining so many benefits you could be getting just by having a little bit of a pick-me-up in the morning. It almost seems like okay, well, if you're going to do that, then why not do this and this? There's so many other things you can incorporate into your life that would be less inflammatory than coffee that you can probably do while
1: maintaining the effective fast. Uh, sure. Well, yeah, like I would I agree that let's say the average person that probably drinks too much coffee and they should dial it down. And uh, also, like if you, if you like suffer from some form of you know, tiredness or exhaustion, and you need to have coffee in the morning to become alert and to get out of your bed, or start the day, or whatever it is, then you definitely have like a problem, and your, your body is simply dependent of the caffeine. So uh, essentially, you, you want to establish this baseline where you don't need to have caffeine to wake up in the morning and to go about your day, so to say. It shouldn't be like a, this necessity and uh, probably the reason you feel dependent off caffeine is that your body hasn't gone on like a break from it you haven't fasted from coffee essentially and uh, you need to kind of go through this period where your body becomes more sensitive to it again and uh, yeah you know coffee does stimulate the autophagy process a little bit so it's it's been shown to do that and uh, it does promote like ketosis as well so it's again one of those things that if if, uh, if a cup of coffee helps you to fast for longer then it's it's gonna be you know much more you know useful or worth it to tra- take the coffee and continue to fast rather than quit halfway through. But at the same time, you also want to be mindful of that. Yeah, I don't want to become dependent of anything, and I want to simply be I want to simply breathe and uh, survive that way, and to fast as long as I need to do that.
0: Yeah, I agree 100%. If if someone can fast for a week with coffee versus never fasting, that that really does make a lot of sense. One thing I did want to bring up was. A modern diet that's high in carbohydrates can sort of mask a uh, vitamin D3 deficiency, because you're constantly consuming sugar, which is giving you energy levels. But when you go on a ketogenic or fasting or carnivore metabolism, what I've noticed is if I don't have adequate vitamin D3 levels, I will have energy-related issues. So I think, in a way, uh, you know, I think people are eventually going to be taking shots of vitamin D3. Uh, You guys heard it here first, but I think that's what's going to happen in the morning uh, with people. Uh, So uh, on the topic of electrolytes, you know, one time I did a uh, a 14-day water fast with just distilled water, and I felt like I was going to drop at the end of that. (laughs) Uh, And more recently, I did a water fast for seven days, and I was drinking salt water throughout the fast. Uh, Of Mm -hmm. course, you know, salt water can be a laxative and... We had a few ifs, ends, and buts here and there, drinking too much salt water. But uh, what are your thoughts on the, ne- the necessity of electrolytes and whether or not people should be using them? Uh,
1: well, I think that regular water fasting by drinking like a bunch of water is probably like a bad idea because you will you know, flush out a lot of the electrolytes and minerals and you will experience more lethargy, more tiredness and potential like muscle cramps and heart palpitations and all those things so compared to a pure water fast with a like a salt water fast then the salt water fast would be probably better because uh kind of the electrolytes help you to stay more energized as well and you know be more physically active uh but you know it's also like depends on like how long I'm gonna fast for because you you definitely don't need to have like the electrolytes on like a shorter fast like 48 hour 48 hours or three days or something like you can even, I've done like a three day dry fast with not, nothing, no electrolytes at all, and I felt perfectly fine. So it's, it comes to show that yeah, your body is very, it, it, it depends on yeah how many electrolytes you're losing during the fast, so to say. Though, so if you are drinking like caffeine in the example, then you may potentially excrete some electrolytes through your urine. And if you're drinking like a bunch of water and you're going to the bathroom all the time, then you are kind of losing those electrolytes. So, in that case, adding some salt and some other electrolytes into your water is going to kind of prevent it or compensate for the deficiencies. But uh, on a shorter fast, like maybe 24 hours, 48 hours, then you don't, it's, it's, it shouldn't be like a necessity, but uh, it, it, it can help you to again, like fast for longer and feel more energized doing it. You brought up dry
0: fasting there, and this is like the next step. Now, What I will say is on my perspective, I can't dry fast because I took this drug called Accutane and it Mm -hmm. reduced my liver's ability to kind of almost detox my body. So when I dry fast, even if it's for five or six hours, I start breaking out with cystic acne terribly. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you as someone who can dry fast, I mean, I've heard that dry fasting is multiple times more beneficial than
1: water fasting for that period of time. Is there any truth to that? Uh, yeah, they say that it's like three times effective than water fasting, uh, which you know I would say that it is a little bit power more powerful, but maybe not like three times, maybe like two times would be good. And the reason is that uh, during a dry fast, you're also depriving yourself from water. So uh, in order to in order for your body to get or obtain that water, then it's also going to uh, obtain it from the process of beta oxidation. So you're basically getting the water from burning fat and it's like molecular water and uh the process of beta oxidation is releases hydrogen which your body will use then uh for your like essential necessities and processes so uh during a dry fast it's it's like uh, the fat burning is going to increase quite significantly because you you will kind of also, also take the water from your own own uh, fat cells so it, it, it is it's uh it's not that you know uh it's not that difficult, but it is somewhat more faster in the sense that you experience this therapeutic zone of higher ketones and uh, lower blood sugar, as well as like more esophagy in a more rapid way. Mm -hmm. So
0: just to be clear, I mean, there's, there's so many different types of fasting. There's, you know, OMAD one meal a day. There's intermittent fasting where you eat in a certain time period. There's, Dry fasting, where you don't drink water. There's like hard dry fasting, where you don't touch water. There's wet dry fasting, where you can take a shower or brush your teeth. There's so many various degrees of fasting and the benefits of these things. You know, unfortunately, haven't been explored uh, to far extents. If you really want to see, you know, what benefits people are having from these things, the only evidence is these anecdotes that we see of these people who have who've
1: done these long periods of fasting. Mm. yeah that's true that uh like fasting throws a monkey wrench in all of the studies and uh it's we we definitely need uh, a lot of more research done on these different people who are you know practicing longer form of fasting and who have done it like for years and years like i've been doing uh, some form of intermittent fasting like seven to eight years and i've been eating one meal a day for like three years so my body is probably like a quite a different in a different metabolic condition than someone who is eating more frequently and you know although it is true that it's not like the panacea to health <laughs> and uh, it's it's a matter of context as well and what kind of other nutrients you're getting and what kind of other lifestyle factors you follow like exercise sleep and so on it's still quite relevant in if we go back to the idea of oxidative stress on the mitochondria and uh, like digestion causing damage to the mitochondria and accelerating aging so to say so a lower eating frequency is probably is the net result in terms of the oxidative stress on the mitochondria is going to be lower and uh, that may have like at least some form of like an anti-aging effect and longevity boosting effect so you mentioned that you 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 were you know uh, you like one one uh, quarter of your life you haven't eaten you've been in a fasted state or something like that which is so true that you know, if you think about it, that if you were to fast once a week for 48 hours, then over the course of the year, it's going to add up to like 50 days. So that's a, quite a huge, huge, uh, significant amount of fasting that you do during the course of the week of the year. And if you have like some other extended fasts and so on, then you're going to yeah greatly see, I would Im- I would imagine it's going to be a qu- quite a good uh, longevity boosting effect, not only like in the terms of lower inflammation, but also like the uh, autophagy uh, boosting benefits. Yeah, one
0: interesting thing you brought up there was when you fast one day a week, it adds up in the long term, and th- this can be said about just about everything that applies to your lifestyle. You know, mm. okay, going out and drinking one night a week doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but you know, going out drinking fifty nights in a row is a little bit—that's a little bit wacko dacko stuff. So, uh, the same thing can be applied to like the the food choices you make. You could say, okay, well, there's not There's a difference between eating like grain-fed and grass-fed beef, but it's not too much. But hold on. There's a difference between eating 1,000 pounds of grain-fed beef and 1,000 pounds of grass-fed beef. That's not what people are looking at. Uh, And this ties back into, you know, the net positive and negative of what you're doing to your body. And and this can also explain why, uh, you know, like water fasting versus dry fasting, even when you're putting water in your body, you know, is there anything negative in the water? Uh, You know, when you're taking electrolyte supplements, a lot of people say, uh, you know, I mean, the main electrolytes being sodium, potassium, magnesium, and calcium. Uh, You know, drinking salt water is one thing, but taking a potassium supplement, potassium occurs in the citric acid form in food, and it's usually absorbed over a period of hours when you're digesting the food. So when you take, if you took a proportionate amount of potassium to sodium that naturally occurred in food, you would actually get signs of potassium overdose because mm-hmm. the potassium absorbs much more readily in the powdered form than right. sodium does. Same thing with magnesium. If you take an amount of magnesium that is proportionate to sodium that you're intaking, the magnesium is going to have a laxative effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know These electrolytes can't really be taken in a natural context for most people, usually the chelations, what these minerals are bound to, do not absorb properly or at a rate that is is good enough. I mean, maybe there will be some research done where we can figure these things out. And then the, the calcium though, calcium is something that should never uh, be supplemented to my understanding. And there are a lot of electrolyte supplements that do have calcium in them. So right. uh, definitely something to be careful about, especially in the context of not having enough vitamin D3
1: yeah it's like I think that the problem is that you know the modern food is also like very nutrient poor and you're not getting like magnesium or potassium from even these uh you know leafy greens and the fruits and vegetables that everyone is eating so yeah it's 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 quite unfortunate so in that context I would say that a little bit of supplementation cannot uh, can, gonna uh, fix some of the loopholes so Let's, we, we've kind of gone over a couple
0: different aspects of fasting uh, outside of exercise. So, you know, we did touch briefly on people worried about losing muscle when fasting, but you, you don't, I mean, obviously, you know, when you lose glycogen, when you don't eat for a couple of days, you look like you lost half your muscle mass, essentially. Is this, I mean, but this is obviously not something people should be worrying about.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, it's, uh, you know, there is this inevitable side that uh, you will maybe lose some water weight and glycogen, and uh, maybe you look smaller, but the truth is that uh, it's also healthier for you in the long term, you know, that if you have, you know, some dysfunctional proteins floating around your system and making you look more buff, then uh, it's not going to be worth it for your longevity, so to say. And much better to kind of eliminate them and uh, build more leaner quality muscle that way. But at the same time, uh, the the decrease in the size of your body or muscles, it's also like very short term. So to say that after you after you after you break the fast, you start eating again, then your body actually becomes very prone to absorbing the nutrients much more or much better. So to say that uh, you actually become more more sensitive to uh, like the anabolic foods like protein. And I myself, from my own personal experience, can see that uh after coming from like extended fasts three to five days then the the, ne- the next few days after that i i see like a huge kind of rebound effect in terms of like strength as well as a muscle growth so to say and part of it has to do with your gut that you absorb the nutrients better and uh you you also like resensitize yourself to the kind of amino acid signaling and uh, the anabolic signaling of muscle protein synthesis so to say if you are eating like a very well, let's say you're eating a bunch of protein all the time then your body will eventually become desensitized towards it uh like like with everything like the same applies to carbs the same applies to caffeine the same applies to you know uh dopamine from social media and all those things your your body becomes uh, desensitized towards them so taking a break and not eating protein for a short period of time like a few days it's gonna have like a rebound effect and you actually like start building muscle afterwards a lot more efficiently
0: You know, it's funny, uh, coming from a bodybuilding background years and years and years ago, uh, these guys, bro, you're going to go catabolic if you don't have a protein shake 10 minutes after you work out. Like stuff like that is literally, it's so absolutely silly. As long, you could literally not eat for a week and your body is not going to break down muscle tissue. Uh, You know, when you start losing muscle is when, you know, you stop exercising for three, four, five weeks at a time. That the only issue you would have a muscle loss is is in those extreme circumstances, and I, I've had collegiate athletes that do incorporate fasting. So even at the very high end of the very high end of elite performance, it, it's perfectly fine to fast for a day or two. And as you said, you know there's a rebound effect where people are seeing massive benefits, uh, partially because you know they're being desensitized to the nutrient availability of the food. And yeah. this ties into how fasting is a great tool to reset your appetite. When you don't eat for two, three days, you know that meal that you eat is probably going to be much smaller. You're not going to eat as much, yeah.
1: uh, and it's it's going to be more available to your body. Yeah, it's it's another one of those things that, or it's a, it's a kind of the hidden benefits of uh, these extended fasts that after you get out of the fast, then uh, you don't you aren't kind of that addicted to food that you were might have been before. So to say that your body is very, like, um, you know, uh, it's 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 satisfied with less. And uh, that's what that's, that's kind of like benefits your longevity in the long term as well. And you don't go into this another vicious cycle of you know, eating a bunch of food and so on, so that you would feel satiated, you become satiated from less and uh, like the taste spots reset. And also, like this hedonic adaptation resets as well. So you're not running this hedonic treadmill of I need more and more and more just to feel the same effect. So you're kind of lowering it back down, like consciously, so to say that okay, I'm starting to see that okay, maybe I'm uh, putting on a little bit of weight, maybe I'm uh, getting too kind of attached to the idea of eating food. I'm gonna have like a short fast, and it's gonna reset this entire hedonic adaptation in the in the body, and uh, you will you will experience like more bliss and more happiness. Just because you're able to kind of regulate your own this thermostat voluntarily,
0: that makes a lot of sense. Uh, a lot of people do bring up, you know, the context of fasting and the benefits it has uh, on the immune system, any potential cancer benefits. Uh, but this kind of ties back to autophagy and how literally every cell in your body is is regenerating itself, and how all the inflammatory markers that people look at, whether it's IGF one. Uh, any single marker you can look at in your body is actually going to be reduced in this mm-hmm. fasting period.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's it, it is like uh, uh, the benefits of longevity on th- that is seen in fasting is also yeah reflective of the biomarkers that y- your fasting insulin will drop, your IGF one levels will drop especially during the fast, and yeah, you you are in a more catabolic state w- of like self-repair and, uh, self repair and self healing so uh we mentioned uh the mTOR pathway earlier so mTOR and autophagy are in like this antagonistic relationship with each other so if your mTOR is high then you're in anabolic mode and it's 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 preventing the activation of autophagy and that leads to the accumulation of you know these dysfunctional cells and components so you need to suppress mTOR you need to go into the catabolic side just reap the benefits of this self-clearance and autophagy so yeah i personally uh took took like a blood test a few weeks ago and uh my igf1 levels were on the like bottom side like really drop really low like in the 100 nanograms per deciliter and the reference range is like 90 to 357 nanograms per deciliter so which like really low and it's actually lower than probably someone who is eating like a low-protein diet (laughs) just because I'm fasting. So because fasting is much more powerful than protein restriction or caloric restriction if your goal is to lower IGF-1. So fasting is, you know, you don't need to necessarily deprive yourself from the nutrient-dense foods as long as you implement strategic fasts and you cycle it with like periods of not eating and then feasting adequately afterwards. Mm
0: -hmm. I wonder how... The, these juice and these fruit fasts and, and these things that people do tie into this. I'm sure, you know, I, I mean, obviously spiking your insulin up and down and putting stress on your liver is the opposite of what your goal is during a fast. But, you know, compared to what these people do in their normal day-to-day life, a juice fast might actually not be too bad right. of an idea.
1: Yeah, it's it's yeah. what's what your kind of status or where you're coming from. And, uh, you know, the high amounts of sugar... Uh, although it will kick you out of a fast state and breaks ketosis you will maybe potentially still experience like caloric restriction You're, you're you, the juice fasts you may be drinking like maybe 500 to 700 or 800 calories from the juice and you experience a lot of weight loss and you experience you know you feel good because you're not putting a lot of stress on the digestive system uh, but at the same time it's still the idea that you're not really getting most of the autophagy benefits, uh, especially like during the consumption of those juices. You may experience them during the night when you're not drinking those things just because you're in a caloric deficit, but at the same time, it's still definitely not optimal in terms of like uh, promoting ketosis and preserving uh, lean muscle tissue as well. Mm -hmm. So
0: obviously a lot of ways you can do a fast, a lot of different lengths of time you can be on a fast, but what kind of drives me crazy is when, when people break their fast, you see people eating like a cube of watermelon and then like three <laughs> hours later, they'll have like a bite of lettuce. And right. I've had opposite experience.
1: What are your thoughts on how people break their fast? Uh, well, I think that it's definitely not a good idea to start eating a bunch of food in terms of volume and as well as like hard to digest, hard to digest foods after breaking a fast and uh, because it will you know you need some time to kind of ease into it a little bit just so your body could get used to it and uh, what i like to do is to break the fast with like a cup of bone broth or something like a stew or some liquid uh, because it, it has some calories and it's going to stimulate you know the gut that okay it's time to eat but it's not going to put like a massive load on your system and it's not going to interfere with it and then from there i may move on with some uh, either some maybe like sauerkraut or some probiotic vegetables, uh, or like some, uh, maybe, uh, like steamed, not steamed, but like a, a, like a boiled egg or, uh, like some salmon or something, something to easier to just, that's, that's kind of my go-to, uh, source. I just start off with some bone broth. I have like some fermented foods and some easy to digest protein like eggs or uh, fish.
0: Yeah. I'm the opposite. I, I remember one time I broke my fast with like two pounds of duck liver and like three pounds of steak that was I mean yeah that's definitely not the right way to do it especially with the goals you've achieved on your fast but uh, you know you- well
1: it's it, it can work as long as you don't like experience some negative side effects from it so you know uh, you know the, the potential dangers that the might see is that uh, you 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 may have like uh if, especially if you overcook the food that can cause simply like you know the carcinogens or the uh, the AGEs from the from the uh, meat that can simply cause like excessive inflammation during the digestive process because your guts become somewhat more sensitive to them after coming from a fast. But usually, uh, meat is okay, but uh, probably not like pounds and pounds of meat. <laughs> I think you brought up something that really pieces the puzzle together. So,
0: yeah, you know, in nature we would have I, I mean maybe we hunted and we came across a large amount of animal flesh after a long period of not eating, but Mm. That key factor of not cooking it too much, you know, eating, eating a meal of raw animal fat and raw animal protein is going to be multiple, multiple, multiple times less inflammatory than that same cooked meal. I think that's, Mm. that's something very important to note here. And I guess it would make a lot of sense to, to break your fast on a raw, less inflammatory animal food meal then uh than yeah a like one. a hunter
1: hunter a hunter gatherer didn't have like a cup of boomroth <laughs> when uh, waiting to break a fast or some something like that so yeah you like yeah raw meat is uh, probably easier to digest and uh, even if you don't eat it raw then like slightly cooked or keeping it rare that's how, that's how i usually like to cook my steaks is like to keep them uh, rare
0: yeah that makes the most sense and it's not you know do we mean completely run no but the lighter you cook the food, you know, the easier it's going to digest. And then, you know, later on what I find interesting is after eating raw food for a period of time, maybe if it if it's even just one meal, you do start craving those cooked foods, those higher calorically
1: available versions of of certain animal foods. So, one thing I want to add is that, you know, the reason why it is maybe you know, it's, it's again like the context of the modern world. So in the modern world, most people's digestive d- d- digestion isn't working optimally. And uh, for them, it may not be the best idea to pound on uh, like a bunch of meat and raw meat and uh, cooked meat uh, all at once after breaking a fast because they aren't able to simply handle it because of like low stomach acid or whatnot. So in that sense, it is for it's It's going to be much more easier for them to kind of implement some other strategies, maybe like. Uh, taking some bone broth and taking it slower. So it's it's a, like a matter of context again, like because most people's digestive systems, they aren't as good as they would like them to be.
0: Mm-hmm. So the question so many people ask is how quickly we can achieve auto- autophagy. And we've kind of gone over this loosely over the course of this podcast, but essentially it there's a lot of factors
1: going into this, right? Mm. So yeah yeah it's it's uh, well essentially it is determined by the balance between mTOR and AMPK so are you anabolic or are you catabolic and uh, that balance is determined by kind of the nutrients in your system and the most important nutrients for that are glucose and amino acids so uh, the worst Kind of thing or the lo- longest time for you to get into autophagy would happen on like a high protein high carb diet because those kind of two pillar stones keep the mTOR signaling activated and it's going to take you longer for you to reap the benefits of the catabolic side mm-hmm. and essentially on a low carb diet or a zero carb diet for that being then uh, you will probably experience those benefits faster and uh, also like uh like it's it's yeah it's a matter of uh, what kind of a diet you're following and uh, what kind of other activities you do during the fast so for instance you, if you were to exercise you do some fasted cardio or something like that then you greatly accelerate the process and uh, you go you know exercise also stimulates autophagy so yeah it's it's a matter of what you're doing and what kind of a diet you started off the fast with so to say
0: Yeah. I think exercise is a really important role in autophagy, but it obviously you don't want to like run a marathon because then you're going to feel like you're going to die and you're going to need to eat something and your body's going to need to recover. Uh, I think there's a fine line between doing incredibly intense training and, and something more moderate. So sometimes people bring up Fasting during developmental stages of life. And what we mean by this is a teenager that's overweight, a breastfeeding mother that's overweight, a pregnant woman that's overweight. And uh, I mean, to me, these things tie back to there probably isn't nutrient density established in the person's diet. And, you know, if you fix that person's diet and establish nutrient density and make sure they're eating quality animal foods, the weight loss problem would probably be solved. So do you think that these people are looking at the wrong solution to their issues in fasting?
1: Um, well yeah, I would say that, you know, uh, you know fasting doesn't fix a poor diet and uh, you can't really outfast a poor diet as well. So it doesn't matter how long you fast or how frequently you do it if you fall off the rails after breaking the fast that you eat like a poor, you're not getting like adequate amounts of nutrients and you're kind of over consuming the calories. So you can even gain weight eating, you know, two times a week if uh, you binge on those days and you fast the rest of the days even. So yeah, it's it's, calories still matter and the nutrient density also matters. uh, So say, and you know, for younger people, they don't necessarily need to fast that long uh, because they are in this growth uh, stage, and uh, it essentially may cause some nutrient deficiencies or such. But at the same time, yeah, if you are, it's o- it's only dangerous if you are fasting on a poor diet and uh, on a nutrient deficient diet. If you if your diet is nutrient dense and you're getting like adequate amount of nutrients during your feeding, then you can safely fast because you're nourished. You know when you're not fasting, so to say. So for someone. You know, the this, this starting point would still be uh, you, you eliminate all the processed food, you eat like uh, quality nutrient-dense foods, and then you may want to kind of start thinking about fasting because uh, your body is more kind of capable of doing it, and uh, you will also have like the other kind of pillar stones for your health covered before you're doing that.
0: I think there's a lot of hypocrisy here with people thinking that they can't you know, restrict calories as a teenager or like a pregnant woman, yet the calories they're eating have no nutrition whatsoever. So, (laughs) you know, if you're eating, you know, if you having low fat milk with cereal for breakfast, a ham and cheese sandwich for lunch, and then, you know, lean chicken breast and veggies for dinner, you know, the difference between eating that and not eating that for two days, there's actually, you know, there's really no nutrition, no vitamins in in that food that you're eating. So it's kind of... It, that this is an interesting anecdote uh,
1: for yeah, sure. sure if, if you're yeah if you're eating like you know these uh, non-nutrient dense foods like you mentioned the processed foods and the whole grains and ham then the the fat gain you gain from that isn't quality fat gain so let's say you're not doing yourself any service you're simply yeah, getting fat <laughs> essentially and it's gonna be much more difficult for you to lose it afterwards mm-hmm. uh,
0: I think I think we have to bring up the word detox heavy metals uh liver stuff and you know with everything there's an underlying issue with something if someone has a copper imbalance in the body if someone has a zinc imbalance or mineral imbalance or whatever in the body you know that issue needs to be addressed but i think
1: fasting can be used as a tool to some degree to help that right Mm -hmm. yeah well fasting is you know the ultimate detox if that makes sense so uh it's it's a it's a much more more profound way of going about it. And, uh, I would say it's definitely, you know, uh, healthier in the long term. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, do we,
0: now some people are concerned about, you know, especially in the context of a carnivore diet, uh, stress on the kidneys, high protein, uh, mm. this, would this be more of an issue with someone that's dry fasting or that has like a vitamin D3 deficiency resulting in excess or like K2 deficiency
1: resulting in excess calcium deposits throughout their body? Uh, well, there is the potential danger uh, of uh, high amounts of uric acid as well during a fast. So if you are fasting, then you will produce a little more uric acid, which may cause some gout or something like that. Uh, but at the same time, those there are other factors that also contribute to it, such as like chronic stress and alcohol consumption. And also, like yeah, if you are consuming, let's say you're uh, eating a bunch of protein and then also fasting and not drinking enough water to to buffer out the uric acid then you may run into some troubles down the line but uh, if you are being somewhat mindful of okay i'm not going to be focusing a lot on the excess protein and i'm going to actually yeah maybe you know consume something that kind of buffers the acidity maybe like some lemon juice or some baking soda or something like that then in that case it shouldn't be like an issue in, in, in this example
0: Yeah. One thing people seem to miss is humans, for the most part, have always obtained 80% of their calories from energy. Whether that 80% is a fat source or a carbohydrate source, that's what seems to be ideal in just about every single group of indigenous people, 80% of calories from energy. Uh, When people start consuming higher than 20% of their calories from protein, it's usually because they have an unnatural amount of lean body mass. And obviously, that does stress the organs and digestive system and these... Metabolic pathways that aren't really meant to handle
1: an incredibly high amount of protein all day. Hmm. Yeah, there is a tr- well, there is a trade-off uh, between, uh, you know, lean muscle as well as longevity. Uh, but at the same time, lean muscle also helps to promote longevity. So it's a paradox, or it's it's a matter of context. So to say that, yeah, like being. You know mr olympia probably isn't the best thing for your health because of the high amounts of calories you have to eat and the high amounts of protein you're consuming but at the same time uh, being you know frail and uh, having, uh, suffering from sarcopenia and muscle loss isn't you know I- ideal either so there's always like this sort of a balance that you have to find of uh how much muscle mass you you think you need and how much muscle mass you actually use functionally during the day so if you're simply carrying around unnecessary amounts of uh, lean tissue that you that you don't need in terms of like strength training or some other forms of exercise, then it's probably not going to be the best thing. So yeah, in that case, you would definitely benefit from lower protein intake and uh, and also like doing some fasting. But for most people, you know, doing some form of resistance training is going to be much more uh, positive for the longevity because uh, it's in your staves of muscle loss uh, Alleviates sarcopenia and also increases the metabolic rate which kind of helps to uh, live you know more uh, optimally in the modern world where you don't have to suffer from like starvation and famine you you get to eat more frequently and in that case having a bit of more lean muscle mass is going to be uh, actually somewhat good but yeah it, it's a fine line that too much is definitely not going to be good
0: yeah for those of you that don't know sarcopenia is muscle loss so Uh, Mm. You know, by fasting and incorporating these various lifestyle activities, we can reduce that to some degree. Uh, Something definitely to talk about, though, is is gut bacteria and, you know, what impact fasting
1: actually has on gut bacteria. Yeah, people think that, you know, you're not eating anything. Then you're gonna lose all of your microbiome, and uh, essentially you're gonna die soon, soon afterwards. But the truth is that your mi- microbiome actually becomes more diverse during a fast. So your microbiome changes its diversity constantly all the time, and those changes are very fast to take place as well. So even small adjustments in your diet, uh, th- those things can be see- those things can reflect in your uh, microbiome status quite quite rapidly. So with fasting as well, I, I would imagine that the reason your microbiome becomes more diverse is that it self-adjusts itself uh, to kind of promote that diversity. So a more diverse microbiome is linked to longevity because of like a stronger immune system and the sort of an anti-fragility towards the outside world. And with fasting, you're kind of es- essentially taking out or you're kind of you know, uh, removing the barriers where your body can self-regulate itself. And you allow the autophagy process to also kind of go into gear to uh, do what it needs to do without you kind of trying to balance it out yourself with your diet, but w- which essentially isn't actually going to do any good for you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting that a lot of vegans try to use fasting uh, for SIBO and candida. And mm. it, it's like a temporary fix in a way because what happens is you know, your gut bacteria is essentially eating itself. You're reducing the microbe count, but just, as soon as you start eating food again for a day
1: or two, you're just you're essentially back up to where you were before. Right. And and at, I wouldn't I wouldn't use like I I don't think like fasting would be the best thing for things like SIBO or something like that uh, because there's also the thing that you, you, you if your gut bacteria detect that they're fasting, they're not getting any food, then they may get uh the, the kind of uh response is to develop these biofilms around those uh those uh those uh, bacteria strains so that's going to be much more difficult for you to break them afterwards so essentially like putting yourself under nutritional stress can make some bacteria and some uh, pathogens stronger just because of that so yeah there's, there's there's probably some more kind of specific measurements or specific uh, means you have to go through if you if you suffer from some SIBO or something. Mm-hmm. So
0: to actually incorporate fasting in a way that it's going to optimize your health, it's safe to say that we have to have the other aspects of our diet correct. Like if mm. you're not sleeping, if you're sleeping two hours a night, you have bigger things to address essentially. Right. And yeah and can we say the same thing about diet where you know when you don't have when if you're not in a ketogenic metabolism if you're not if you're not sleeping properly if you're not exercising then you know we can achieve a lot more with those things
1: yeah i would say that yeah you know the starting point for everyone should be to um go on a i would say controlled carb intake and uh, nutrient dense diet where you're not eating like processed foods, you're not eating sugars, you're not eating uh, a bunch of like unnecessary carbs and you're getting like, a, you know, quality nutrients from uh, like these animal foods like meat, uh, fish organ meats, uh, you know, bone broth meats, those things, eggs and uh, other other nutrients. So yeah, those things will be the starting point because uh, it should, it should be like a lifestyle change as well, so to say, like a fasting shouldn't be thought of as a quick fix because if you, you know, gorge yourself afterwards and you're not getting like a quality nutrients, then it's not going to be worth it because, you know, if you're eating frequencies already quite low, then the food you do eat have to be high nutrient dense, just, just so you would get, you know, all of the essential nutrients that you need. And other things to also, yeah, definitely pay attention to are like sleep. If you're sleep quality begins to suffer because of fasting then it's not going to be worth it either so sleep is definitely more important in terms of longevity than fasting and uh also like it's a matter of context so uh you know some you know, some sacrifice of sleep in a short-term fast is okay but it, in the long if if it becomes like too chronic or too frequent then you have to kind of change something
0: yeah that would be a sign to stop a fast early right like your your sleep is really 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 bad like not sleeping essentially
1: uh well it could it could well, yeah if you are like literally awake all night then you may want to have something just to just to force yourself to sleep and uh, you know one day of sleep deprivation isn't an issue because it actually ha it promotes like BDNF as well in the brain like sleep deprivation and it may you know have like some other benefits in terms of like creativity or such but yeah like several nights in a row of not sleeping, then um, you would be better off by eating something to break the fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think this might tie into
0: people consuming certain things while they're fasting, like coffee. and, And, you know, well, if you're consuming coffee, that could be caffeine. If you're consuming bone broth, you could be having some sort of histamine reaction. If you're consuming like I mean, even things like clay or seaweed in your water, right. electrolytes, snake juice, all of these things might be causing electrolyte imbalances and issues in your body that can affect your sleep to some degree.
1: Yeah, well, you know, fasting is a stressor and, uh, you know, the cortisol can also keep you up if you feel very wired up from it. And caffeine is a potential thing that can overshoot cortisol, but it's also like, you know, screens. Uh, You know, smartphones, laptops, watching news, uh, blue light at night. Those things are also keeping you up probably and keep you stimulated. So uh, those things maybe were like before breaking a fast kind of covering those things is also like somewhat uh, more of like better strategic strategic way of going about it.
0: Mm -hmm. And what really makes this, you know, another one of those things that I, you know, this is, this is, you know, you could have a. Hours and hours and hours of conversation about fasting, but most people would only know about it in a religious context. Mm. And I think the real reason is no one makes money off of fasting, and no one makes money right. off of people being healthy.
1: Yeah, uh, it's 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 really much more difficult to make money if you tell people to stop eating and uh, not buy those pills and drugs. So to say, it's 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 very difficult, yeah, to make money from sick people. Or from healthy people, and it's easier to make money from sick people. so that's that's how unfortunately the system is built, I think
0: mm-hmm. and And seeing as you know a vast majority of the audience is probably some form of keto, carnivore, paleo, vegan. Uh, you know, I guess we can kind of touch on uh, you know maybe how these people should be implementing fasting into their lifestyle. I mean, I'm sure a lot of them might even be already doing intermittent fasting or one meal a day but uh, you know ob- obviously there are benefits to be seen by doing prolonged fast on any of these regimens
1: right for sure well i think uh, one thing everyone can do is to practice like daily time restricted eating and you know there is no real reason to be eating any more than two times a day and uh, definitely like snacking in between meals isn't you know it's not going to kill you <laughs> and it's it's not going to cause you any damage but at the same time it's it's it shouldn't be it shouldn't be added into your habits to sort of say that it, it it can become like a, pad, a bad habit and uh, in general it's better to not have any snacks and you know optimally you know one meal a day would be a good thing and probably like people who are doing some form of a keto low carb diet carnivore diet then they will gravitate more towards like less eating and they have like fewer meals and maybe like one meal a day is you know something that they you know do it naturally without even thinking about it but yeah something like two meals a day at max uh, one meal a day is good and uh, then implementing some forms of extended fasting every once in a while whether that be like during traveling you know that's one of the best travel hacks there is not eat anything during the flight or during the commute. And it's going to be much more easier and much more convenient because, you know, the food on the road or the road is already somewhat uh, poor quality and it's much easier to fast. But yeah, in general, usually aim for about a few, at least like a few, these extended fasts a few times a year, that's going to be somewhat uh, a good idea mm-hmm. just for like the longevity benefits.
0: Yeah. Some people even say, Hey, you save a couple bucks on food, but guys that that's, is that a reason to fast? No, but it's definitely, you could definitely save quite a bit. I mean, you know, when I was fasting, you know, a quarter of the time, uh, I mean, I would probably, you know, sometimes you might even be making up for the lack of calories on other days. It depends on, Mm -hmm. it depends on your routine. Uh, Now, when people are looking at receiving benefits from autophagy, uh, we obviously want as much in return for the amount of effort that we put in. So, mm-hmm. if someone's going to do, you know, a one or a two-day fast, to me, it would make a lot more sense to do a four or a five-day fast because, you know, there's a period right. of, what what would we say, 24 to 36 hours before you're actually achieving autophagy to a higher degree,
1: right? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it is like if you are already fasting, then uh it's much easier to keep going so to say that you know the dip, most difficult part usually is around the 24-hour mark when you're going to bed uh like first time in a in an empty stomach and the second day is, is a lot easier and the third day is also like already part of the routine so uh um, yeah it's, it depends on again what's the situation so to say that a 48-hour fast is still good and it's still better than nothing <laughs> but uh if you feel like um you know if you feel like going for three days and five days to gain like more significant boost, then yeah, you should you should go for it and, and such. How long you should fast is going to depend again on like what kind of a diet are you following and do you need to fast for that long, so to say, that if your diet is somewhat poor in, poor in nutrition and uh, you tend to overeat calories during your eating windows, then in that case, going for a longer fast is better versus someone who is already gravitating more towards under-eating and they are suffering from some muscle loss or they're suffering from some nutrient deficiencies, then for them, it may not be that more beneficial to go for this longer fast that frequently. So they need to fast less. So it's a matter of context and a particular individual of uh, what's, what's their diet like, what's their nutrient status, and uh, what kind of fasting windows are they doing in general. Yeah,
0: one interesting anecdote would be, you know, if you go on a, t- if you go on a two-day fast, you're looking at 12 to 24 hours of autophagy. But if you go on a four day fast, you're looking at two to three days of autophagy. Right. So by doubling your fasting window, you're increasing the autophagy time by, you know, three to four times. But mm-hmm. once you get past that like four to five day fasting window, that's where it's kind of gets a little, yeah, there are some benefits in fasting for prolonged periods of time. But those are definitely things that aren't done for yeah. most people in the you know at least
1: especially on a monthly basis yeah you do start to experience like a point of diminishing returns uh both in terms of like uh, muscle maintenance as well as the physiological benefits of autophagy so autophagy isn't like the more is better and the more often you get it and the higher your dose the better it is that's not really the case because too much autophagy can also promote sarcopenia and uh too much autophagy can also actually uh, promote the proliferation of certain cancers and certain uh, tumors not by the autophagy process itself but by the, by the act of uh, you're going to breaking down those cells during the autophagy process and you're creating energy from it and then those cancer cells are simply going to steal that energy or something they're going to they're gonna feed off from the, the, mm-hmm. the byproducts of autophagy. So there, it's like yeah, a matter of context so to say that too much isn't always good and uh optimally it's, it's 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 it depends again again what, what kind of a overall kind of pattern or what kind of a schedule the person is uh fitting into
0: yeah a lot of this always ties back to you know does the person have adequate nutrition in their diet if they don't then you know we can potentially get into detrimental versions of autophagy uh you know thyroid related issues if you don't have enough iodine in your diet Uh, you know, there's so many things that can go wrong from
1: this perspective. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's for sure. Yeah. Like, uh, your nutrients have to be really high quality after you break the fast and, uh, yeah, you, you, you don't really need to eat like, uh, like some form of a really starvation mode diet after breaking the fast, because that's going to interfere with the metabolic rate and the thyroid functioning. So yeah, some people who are afraid or some people who experience that their me- metabolism slows down after breaking the fast is because, you know, uh, they're, they're eating at a huge caloric deficit after coming from the fast as well. And they maybe spontaneously, they eat less. So the fasting itself doesn't cause the slow me- metabolic rate. It's the idea that you're still staying in the catabolic mode, in a catabolic state after you break the fast as well. And, you know, as, as 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 important it is to fast, it's also very important to feast, so to say, to give yourself the nutrients and to stimulate the mTOR pathway after you break the fast as well, because that, that helps to kind of promote the longevity by you know building muscle and as well as like revving up the metabolic rate and uh, overcoming those potential you know uh, negative adaptations that uh, may occur. Mm-hmm. So when we're fasting,
0: when we're looking at various benefits the most popular theme among young men seems to be building muscle. And we can say that there's absolutely no detriment to fasting in certain intervals when attempting to build muscle. But is there a a way to do
1: this properly? Is there like a frequency for this? Um, Well, you can definitely do all kinds of fasting if you're trying to build muscle. Uh, You just have to kind of be aware of uh, specifically how much protein you're eating and what kind of training you're doing. So the most important variables that determine muscle growth are uh, like resistance training, uh, which stimulates the muscles to grow, and, and adequate protein intake, which will trigger muscle protein synthesis. So you can even build muscle eating once a day, as long as you get enough protein from your eating window, And as long as you stimulate the muscles enough during your workouts, so yeah, it's a it's a matter of, uh, yeah, those things, those those two things, and as well as like if you're sleeping enough, that's gonna help, and consuming like adequate amounts of calories, that's also like quite important. But essentially, the most important parts are stimulating the muscle enough and uh, consuming enough protein to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. So it doesn't matter how big of a window you're stimulating them in, as long as you kind of the net net uh, net balance over the 24-hour period is still going to be on the positive side.
0: Uh, one thing that uh, we almost missed was the factor of women losing their period. Uh, mm. and, and we have seen this in vegans, but uh, if someone is following a nutrient-dense diet, if someone has adequate nutrition in their diet, fasting for a period of days to a week or two, it should not cause any sort of irregularity whatsoever in their cycle. Right. Uh, for the most part. Uh, that's that's something very important to mention if, if you're a woman yeah. and you're losing. Think,
1: yeah. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of the kind uh, of anecdotal, anecdotal experience that some people may have, uh, or, those, or those rumors about these things, uh, they originate from people who are, uh, you know, maybe doing too much caloric restriction combined with intermittent fasting and combined with like a lot of high intensity exercise. So of course, <laughs> your body will uh, revolt and it's going to fight back But if you are getting adequate amount of nutrients from your eating window, then you won't become deficient and you won't like damage your thyroid and other like six organs.
0: So what is the minimum amount of fasting? I mean, a lot of people just can't. They just can't. You know, even for some people like a 16, 18, where, you know, they're fasting for 16 hours, eating for Eight, uh, sixteen, eight. Where they're fasting for sixteen hours, they're eating for eight hours. That's achievable for for most people. But even that is a big step in the right direction.
1: Right. Well, I I do I do think that sixteen and eight is something that should be like a uh, let's say like a standard for all people and mandatory in my opinion. Like there's not going to be any physiological reason to be fasting any less. And uh, that should be like the minimum everyone should aim for, and you're probably not gonna be getting any of the significant, you know, autophagy benefits or something from any less either. So, you, you, arguably, you're not getting in anything uh, up until the point of 24 hours. But uh, you know, as if you're eating like a lower, low-carb, to keto diet and you're still exercising, you're not over-consuming calories, then you may get like a little bit of some benefit, at least like some po- positive benefits from uh, fasting if you're doing like 60, 90 hours of fasting. So that should be something I I myself consider it the kind of the gold standard that uh, everyone should aim for.
0: Mm-hmm. When people have pre-existing medical conditions, diabetes, I mean, especially things like diabetes, hypoglycemia, high blood sugar, uh, metabolic syndrome, uh, easing into this fasting thing can obviously alter the amount of medication they take drastically. And, uh, I mean, this, this is seen on a ketogenic diet too. There's, there's definitely something to be said about, uh, being really careful and monitoring your, your biomarkers, right?
1: Right. Uh, yeah, well, you know, some people who may experience like hypoglycemia during a fast, then for them, they should kind of focus on becoming more keto adapted and, uh, being able to utilize more fats and ketones in the absence of glucose. So the reason they experience uh, hypoglycemia is that their brain isn't able to utilize ketones that efficiently. So uh, if your blood sugar is really low, but your ketones are high, then you're probably not going to feel hypoglycemic, and you're not going to feel tired because your brain has an alternative for glucose. So it only kind of creates the hypoglycemic response if it runs out of glucose during a fast, and it doesn't have an alternative. So the way of going about it is to you know, eat, eat a low-carb keto diet when they're not fasting before that to kind of build up the fat adaptation and to get more used to it.
0: So it's safe to say that, in general, fasting is a very valuable tool that mm-hmm. can be applied to pretty much every single person's life. And you know the severity that you decide to do it in Uh, The other lifestyle changes that you decide to make, uh, it's all, you know, there's not one piece to this puzzle, but fasting is definitely a part of it. So Mm -hmm. uh, how do you incorporate fasting to perfect your health and how have you felt since incorporating fasting?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I started fasting with uh, the 16 and 8 method like back in high school. So uh, that was really kind of the reason I did it was to uh, improve body composition and uh, promote fat loss. But uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't come from like any serious, you know, bad diet or I my my diet wasn't like really junk food <laughs> before I started fasting. So I don't have like a huge contrast to compare it to. But even so, like you know, back then I ate some form of like a paleo diet. I did still notice like a significant increase the mental clarity, as well as like reduced hunger levels all the time, after implementing some form of intermittent fasting. And those things got greatly, you know, enhanced and greatly uh, more easier to do after switching over to a keto diet. And, uh, you know, nowadays, I'm doing like a one meal a day, uh, where I consume my food, maybe like within two hours or something like that Uh, nowadays, I don't really feel any hunger almost virtually ever and even if i do feel some form of like uh like a gar, like some my stomach is garling and then i would say that it's like a matter of dehydration or something and drink some a little of water and it passes away but i don't feel like any physiological hunger or cravings during the fasting window even if i have fasted for like three to five days and such so it is really kind of liberating and uh, even not not to mention like all the physiological health benefits but the kind of psychological liberation and freedom I feel is definitely something that I don't want to trade away like ever again I'm, I'm probably not gonna be switching back to like a three meals a day ever and I'm probably like doing some form of intermittent fasting you know as long as as long as I as long as I can
0: Yeah I, I you know using the word tool in the context of fasting is, is something to be said about traveling something to be said about you know reducing stress on your lifestyle, worrying about what foods you're eating on your mm. diet and uh it's it's something that I always use to uh you know for for these various reasons as well and I've noticed very similar things in in regards to fasting, of course, you know there there is a big enjoyment aspect to eating every day, but you know it, it's back to the indigenous groups, back to native people hunter gatherers they didn't have a choice mm-hmm. you know when when food was scarce and Uh, They they weren't able to procure enough calories in nature, or something happened, they got injured, whatever it was. Fasting has always been, and should always be, a part of how we can perfect our health by replicating our past. Uh, So, Simlan is. uh, What's the best way for people to find you? I know you have the YouTube channel.
1: yeah, well, uh, I'm Seem Lund on all of the social media platforms and uh, yeah, on YouTube and Instagram. And uh, if people are, look, want to learn more about the science and such, then my, my blog, SeemLund.com also has like a bunch of articles about different, uh, these uh, pathways like mTOR and autophagy and AMPK, and how does these how do they affect on different diets like the keto diet and so on. So yeah, definitely check out. Thanks for having me.
0: Of course, and guys, that is Seamland, S-I-I-M-L-A-N-D. Thank you guys for joining us today. Enjoy the rest of your week.